Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Dustin Fuse and I are recording this podcast on Wednesday, April 29th, which <laughs> I don't know about you, Dustin, but I'm having a very strong sense of deja vu. Yeah, it seems like just yesterday. Well, it was a, <laughs> it was a week ago, uh, folks. Uh, to explain, we recorded a brand new uh, Universal Joint back on April 22nd. And this was entering the editing process. Nancy was cutting and slashing, trying to eliminate the 1,200 ums that I say per show. <laughs> but then this whole Trolls World Tour AMC Theaters battle started to break. And this is where I had to put on my big boy pants and contact Dustin and basically tell him, look, we need to re-record the news portion of last week's show. The irony is just in the hour before Dustin and I sat down to record this this afternoon, you know, there have been even more complications to this story, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. But uh, it, it just didn't make sense to go out with the original version of that episode. So apologize in advance. But this week's Universal Joint is going to be something of a Frankenstein's monster, which given that he's a classic Universal monster, that, that's kind of appropriate. Exactly. Uh, but the news portion of the show uh, is being recorded on April 29th, whereas the feature portion was recorded years ago on, on April 22nd. I apologize on Dustin's behalf, just in case there's, there's kind of a disconnect between these two sections of the show, but they were literally recorded a, a week apart. So also just given that we're, we're just endlessly hammered with COVID-19 related news, I wanted to start the show off by reminding folks, look, it's not always going to be like this. At some point very far down the road, uh, things will start to get back to normal, which is is why I, I find myself doing a very unmasculine thing uh, earlier this week, Dustin. I was online looking at the Hallmark Keepsakes Dream Book. You, oh, you that, remember this thing? Yeah, that that's not uh, you know a, a non-masculine thing. I think Hallmark has done a very good job of bringing pop culture to classic ornaments, and uh, it just made sense. Actually, you're not you're not wrong. As I recall, paging through the thing, there were a startling number of football-related ornaments. So, to hell with it. It was a very masculine thing to do. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, while I was looking through the book. The surprising number of Universal-related ornaments. They had things like a Marty McFly from Back to the Future ornament, which features clips from the 1985 film that goes on sale October 3rd for $19.99. And actually, what's interesting about the Back to the Future, you've heard that the Back to the Future musical is currently on hiatus over in, uh, in Manchester, though, right? Yeah, that's the one they had uh, Roger Bart. Yep who was the, uh, well, it got kind of weird last year. He was the original singing voice for young Hercules in the, the film in 97, but last year when they did it in Central Park, when yes. they, they, for seven days they did performances, Roger came back and was Hades and evidently did an amazing job. I, in fact, I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard about a Hercules coming to Broadway should Broadway oh. ever reopen. We, we know it's coming, but yeah, he, he won a Tony Award for uh, the 99 revival of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. He did. Um, got another nomination for uh, the producers mm -hmm. and is just a, a solid guy. But then when you do some deep dives into the cast and mm -hmm. what happened with the Back to the Future musical, it's a brilliant show. 
So it premiered on the 20th of February of this year at the Manchester Opera House, doing what most of these Broadway shows and uh, West End shows do. They'll mm. set up in in a, a, a smaller theater to kind of get their... Well, the idea is that they're previewing out of town before they would then bring the show into the West End. Exactly. And we saw that up here in Toronto when Aladdin was here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Seattle, I know, is really... Seattle and Portland are very big for, mm-hmm. for a lot of the shows going to Broadway. But it looks like that's what happened over here. And... What broke my heart was just mm. looking at at what happened was that they were supposed to go until till May, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were going to do a break and then end up heading to the West End. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a really, you know, sad thing. But I think all Broadway shows are kind of in that uh, in between time because we don't know whether or not things are going to get back to normal and how they're going to. I know personally, I had Hamilton tickets that we didn't get to go and see. Uh, But, you know, there's always a a time for Back to the Future coming back. Well, it's right there in the title. But yeah, what it it started previews in February. They had to stop performances in March. Yep. And we'll just have to put a pin in it and hope that it comes back at some point. But uh, let's see. Among the the other Universal-related ornaments, there was also a Jaws shark attack ornament. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you, Dustin, but nothing says have a holly jolly holiday like a teeny tiny great white with a even smaller oxygen tank jammed in its mouth. Um, but you know what? I want that. Mm-hmm. Just uh, it, it has to go beside all of the other weird ornaments that we've bought throughout the years. But mm-hmm. uh, the one that I still miss is the. Did you ever see the the Beauty and the Beast one with the beast in the bathtub? I always saw it and I never had a chance to pick it up. But those are the types of things that we're seeing with Hallmark going forward. Like not only the the Back to the Future and the Jaws, but the one that I found was they have an Ecto-1 and RTV from Ghostbusters. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Well, well, that's actually a topic for another show because what's (laughs) kind of sad is you... Ecto-1 was obviously supposed to key off of the Ghostbusters movie that was supposed to be out in theaters this summer. In fact, if you continue to go through the catalog, uh, there's a Mickey in a Jungle Cruise boat, which was supposed to key off of the Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt movie that was supposed to open this summer. But you get the idea, folks, that there has been disruption in all sorts of different directions, thanks to the coronavirus. But the one that kind of caught my attention was that uh, they have a Trolls World Tour ornament. It's called Poppy Rocks, and it retailed for fifteen ninety nine, which coincidentally was four dollars less than uh, Universal Pictures Home Entertainment was charging people to watch that DreamWorks animation film on premium video on demand. Now, mind you, uh, Drew Taylor and I talked a little bit about this uh, over on our fine tuning podcast. And the thing that I got, because I'm a cheap, flinty New Englander, you know, the the notion that, wow, you're going to pay $19 to get a 48-hour license to Mm -hmm. run this DreamWorks animation film continuously at your home. And I wondered, how many people were actually going to do that? How many people were willing to pay that price point? So that started on April 10th. And by the following Monday, the 13th, Universal was telling anyone who would listen that this sequel to 2016's Trolls 
had not only had the biggest opening weekend ever for a digital title, but Trolls World Tour had then gone on to have the biggest weekend ever for a digital title. And this wasn't the sort of thing that the folks who run movie theaters wanted out there. In fact, to listen to some of these folks, they blame Universal and the fact that they were talking about how well Trolls World Tour had done for Warner Brothers making the decision back on April 21st that uh, they were going to do the same thing with Scoob. Uh, Mm -hmm. You've heard about this feature-length CG Scooby-Doo movie, right? Uh, Oh, yeah. We we were talking about that, how this could possibly take Scooby-Doo and the gang into the next level, into, you know, kids nowadays being like, hey, let's let's go and watch Scooby-Doo and possibly interact with them in the theme parks and mm -hmm. how that kind of comes in. But uh, we weren't expecting COVID-19 to be a topic this year. So I, no. it's an interesting you know, no. thing with, with Scoob exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. And well, and as a direct result, Scoob, which w- again was supposed to be out theatrically on the 15th, is now going uh, the same route. You know? yep. and, and what's interesting, though, the little variation on it, it's the same price point. As Trolls World Tour, it's 19.99, and you get that 48-hour license. But in fact, you you were talking about your history with Blockbuster and the art of upselling. <laughs> uh, in this case, for 24.99, you can buy a digital copy of Scoob outright, and then have the, the option of watching this Tony Cervone film as many times as you'd like. So. But but you know what's going to happen with that? They're not going to full out offer the twenty four ninety nine buy it now. They're going to talk about how you can rent it for twenty dollars, and then about five minutes before the forty eight hour window mm-hmm. uh, goes away, you'll get an email, and it'll be, "Hey, we know you've watched it, and you've watched it again, and your mm-hmm. kids love it. You saw how." Often they were sitting in front of the TV, so you had the opportunity to, I don't know, do work and live life when everyone's under the same house or Mm -hmm. same roof. Uh, For only $5 more, you could have it. Do you want it? You know you do. And that's how they're going to upsell this, this ability to basically keep their kids happy for a longer time. You're probably not wrong. Though I heard from other folks in the industry, one of the the reasons that a lot of exhibitors were initially willing to give both Trolls World Tour and Scoob a pass was because of a lot of the cross-promotional deals that had been set up in advance to the effect of a Trolls World Tour had a deal with McDonald's to put the, the characters in Happy Meals. Uh, likewise, I want to say... Was it General Mills that, you know, agreed to do the Trolls characters on cereal boxes? And uh, if you walk into Target, there was literally a rolling display uh, set up of Trolls dolls and games and, and that sort of thing. And Yeah. Well, they also had all the, the Funko Pops. Ah, they had all yeah. of the, the, the Lego. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even had, and it was, it was something that, that was kind of fun for me. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the big golden book? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they brought out Trolls World Tour on that. Oh. So they're basically taking that next level of merchandise integrations, you know, all the, the columns that go into a, a profitable franchise and just go all out knowing that Trolls World Tour was coming to theaters. 
And I could, before I forget, going back to the Keepsake Dream Book, they had a version of the Mystery Machine that actually features all of the bells and whistles uh, that you see in Scoop. Oh, I want that now. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so the exhibitor's understanding that all of you had this cross promotional merch that was set up to go with the film that now couldn't arrive in theaters. It's like, okay, we'll give you a pass. That's if you want to go this premium video on demand route with a Trolls World Tour and Scoop. It's like, look, we understand you have promotional partners. And it's like, okay, go ahead. But here's the thing. Just yesterday, the Wall Street Journal runs an article about Trolls World Tour. And we go from Universal not being terribly specific about how much money they made off of the sequel to 2016's Trolls to... You know, getting granular, to be specific, first of all, there were nearly 5 million rentals of this premium video on-demand title, and that the studio managed to make $95 million off of those rentals. And so, so to put that in perspective, Dustin, that means the Trolls World Tour, in just three weeks' time, managed to generate more revenue for Universal Pictures than the original Trolls did back in 2016 during its five-month-long run in theaters. And here's the, here's the quote that evidently sent theater owners right over the edge. Uh, this is what Jeff Schell, the chief executive officer of NBC Universal, told the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the results of Trolls World Tour has exceeded our expectations and demonstrated the viability of premium video on demand. As soon as theaters reopen... We expect to release movies in both formats. And it was, it was that phrase, both formats. Yep. And, and particularly the, the information, the, the news that Universal Pictures would now be going the premium video on demand route with the King of Staten Island. And uh, this is Judge Apatow film. Yeah, the Judd Apatow. Judge Apatow. Because again, rented lips. Sorry, folks. <laughs> uh, and Pete Davidson from uh, Saturday Night Live stars in this thing. It was... Originally going into theaters on June 19th, uh, Universal has since decided that because at this point, Governor Newsom of California is still talking about theaters, yeah, particularly in that state, not opening till, what, phase three? Yeah. Uh, which could be 2021. So, you know, the notion is, all right, we're going to go the, the video and demand route. And so, and that's going to be available for our purchase starting on June 12th. And... Literally hours after this Wall Street Journal article ran, AMC Theaters announced that once that theater chain reopened, it would no longer run any movies that Universal Pictures produced. And here is is what Adam Aaron, the chairman and CEO of AMC Theaters, said yesterday. Universal's unilateral actions and intentions have left us with no choice. Therefore, effective immediately, AMC will no longer play any Universal movies in any of our theaters in the United States, Europe, and the Middle East. And I, I want to provide some context here, folks. AMC is the largest movie exhibition company in the United States, also the largest in Europe, and the largest throughout the world with approximately 1,000 theaters and 11,000 screens across the globe that it controls. So that's going to hurt if they decide, if they're serious, if they really do opt out of screening any movies produced by Universal or its subsidiaries, that's going to have an impact on the box office of these films. And as I mentioned at the top of today's show, 
Uh, literally, I, I'm putting together the show notes that Dustin and I are going to reference as we're, we're doing today's show. Uh, mm-hmm. Word comes that the Sin, Sin World Group, which owns the Regal Theater chain, by the way, the, the second largest theater chain in the world, and the UNIC, that's the governing body of all movie theaters in Europe, uh, they came out to say that they supported AMC's position on this, basically, in, you know, sort of inferring that they too will not do business with a movie theater that doesn't respect the theatrical release window. And now, I, I want to double back to you working at Blockbuster, sure. uh, Dustin, because you uh, face it, back then, this was a crucial part of the food chain for when a movie came out. Back in the day, the belief was that you know, there was a 90-day-long theatrical release window. Yes. And then a movie became available on VHS and Blu-ray. And that's where the blockbusters of the world entered the equation, you know. And can you talk a little bit about how the blockbusters, literally, the blockbusters showed up at Blockbuster? Yeah, absolutely. So you would know uh, months in advance what the big movies were going to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would show up, they'd talk them up in store as well as in those magazines. And you'd be like, awesome, Harry Potter is showing up. Uh, Batman Begins, War of the Worlds, all of these huge movies would have their one or two weeks, at most it would be three weeks, in the main area of all blockbusters in North America. And that's the spot that when you move, when you walked into the store, you would see the three to five uh, tube TVs uh, elevated right underneath the roof, and it would catch your eye right underneath those TVs was the main area where these blockbusters would show up. And we're not talking about one, five, ten copies of these. Uh, every store would get anywhere from, you know, 100 to two, maybe 300 copies of a specific title. Throughout that entire week, the main goal of everyone getting into that uh, blockbuster was to basically get a hold of that movie. And it was two-day rentals. You had late fees. You had all these other things going on. But... After the week or two that this main title had uh, basically full reign over their the demographics of people coming into the uh, to the store, the next hottest one would come in. And after they moved, uh, so say for example, it was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire uh, that came out in two thousand and five. After that moved from the main area, it would go into the new release wall into something that they called loose alpha. There was three different alphabets going along the new release wall. This is what we had to deal with, kids, before Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh, But after uh, Harry Potter would go into the new release wall, they would pull approximately 20 to 30 percent of the title and put it previously viewed for about Mm $16.99. Then it started its decline from $16.99 to $12.99 to $6.99 and then finally $4.99. And everyone who wanted to see it had that opportunity. Well, that's how Blockbuster made its revenue. It was all about getting as many rentals of these movies as quick as possible in order to uh, justify them bringing in 200 or 300 copies per store. Now, a quick question here. That, yeah. that at the actual sales point, 
there were impulse items. There were were candy and things like that, right? You know. Oh, the, absolutely. You know, the, and, the whole notion of upselling that sort of thing, right? Well, and, and Blockbuster's labor options at that point in time, as you were running your store, it was mm-hmm. all based around a certain number of transactional items mm-hmm. equaled an hour of labor. So if you sold five items, it didn't matter whether or not it was a $35 brand new DVD, an $80 DVD set, or a $2 Coke. Mm -hmm. They all were in the same idea when you were running the stores. But yeah, all those impulse items, the sodas, the popcorn, all the ice cream, all of that was basically like, you know, you're, you're standing in line excited to go home and watch this movie. Well, what do you need to watch a movie? You need your sodas and your popcorn. Well, and that actually brings me to my next point. Back when I was in college, my first year or so, I actually managed a, a movie theater and I can tell you flat out from having worked in that world, theaters don't make all that much money, if any money, off of the actual sale of, of tickets. It's all about the sodas, you know, the $5 soda. They're all about that $10 bucket of popcorn. That's that's where the, you know, that's what keeps the lights on, folks. Mm-hmm. And I, look, I, you know, I understand. I, I understand what the folks at RNIMC is saying. I understand what the folks at Regal are also saying that, you know, their livelihood depends on defending this very model. You know, the whole notion of there's a theatrical release window and then, you know, things move to Blu-ray and DVD where once upon a time you could buy it at Blockbuster. Now you you buy it at Target or, or wherever um, or you, you, you know, do the video on demand. But I look ahead to 2021 and 2022. And I see four films that are absolute, ironclad, guaranteed billion-dollar earners. And sure. first one of those, Fast and Furious 9, which, again, you know, would have already been out in theaters uh, if not for COVID-19, has now been pushed off to April 2nd, 2021. Jurassic World 3, which I was kind of surprised to see still has a June 11, 2021 release date, but you were mentioning that you were keeping tabs on it filming in Canada, right? Or Yeah, so uh, just like any any big blockbuster, they go where the tax credits are. Um, and part of the, the filming was on the west coast of Canada. So Jurassic World Dominion was uh, uh, started production on February 19th. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, a lot of incredible backdrops for this shoot, but on March 13th of 2020, uh, production was put on hiatus as a safety precaution for COVID-19. So they said production was expected within several weeks, and uh, that didn't happen. But if we're talking about a a film that's slated to come out in June of next year, they still have to go back and start and continue filming. Okay, that's going to bear watching. Okay, and then, of course, folks, we had uh, Fast and Furious 10, which, by the way, if you drill down, is the initial promotion of that is they're listing it as the 10th and final film in the series. Uh, that's supposed to hit theaters also on April 2nd, but in 2022. So, mm-hmm. And you also brought up earlier uh, Minions 2. Yeah, so Minions yeah, is, and yeah. keep in mind, the difference between a, a a Minions and a Fast and the Furious, they can do a lot of those animation movies 
at home. Yeah, but that's the, the interesting thing with with that particular Illuminations Entertainment project is uh, they when production basically got shut down and the animators dispersed, it was they kind of worked the math and it's like. With people working remotely, we're just not going to make this this window. So, in fact, Dustin brings up an excellent point that if you think Fast and Furious 9 arrives in theaters in April of 2020, Jurassic World 3 arrives in June of next year, and then uh, Minions 2, The Rise of Gru, that's July. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you have $3 billion earners coming from Universal during that time. And, and now we have AMC theaters who just two weeks ago uh, was teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. They recently did a, a debt offering that raised $500 million, which helped them with liquidity. But this is a company that's still saddled with $4.5 billion in debt. It's hard to imagine, especially given a, a movie theater that's in that financial shape, turning its back on $3 billion earners. So I, I can't help but think, given how ugly it got yesterday and how heated, that you know, sometime in the late winter, early spring of 2021, that NBC Universal, AMC, and Regal Entertainment, along with the, uh, the governing body of the theaters in Europe, are going to come to some sort of understanding. Uh, but here's the thing, Dustin. NBC CEO Jeff Schell, has been pushing for a shortening of the theatrical window since 2016. His argument is that, you know, in today's world, the notion that every film needs a 90-day-long theatrical release window is ridiculous. You know, that, mm -hmm. that yes, look, a blockbuster, you know, a Jurassic World 3, that makes sense. Uh, whereas you look at something like one of the films that Universal actually got out the door, before COVID closed all the theaters, uh, The Invisible Man um, mm -hmm. did really solid business for weekend one, weekend two, you know, fell off by weekend three and was pretty much done by weekend four. So what Jeff would like to see is the theatrical window for non-blockbusters. He'd like to at least see it cut in half. And if he really had his way, it would be clomped down to just 30 days. Um, so I don't know. Well, what, what would his, his definition of a blockbuster be? Like, would that be something that after the first week you would know where things are at and the negotiation would be, okay, should we do 30 or should we do 45? Or is it a, you know, cause we've seen some of those movies where they tell us it's going to be a blockbuster. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the, the stores are saddled with Lone Ranger merchandise for three weeks. <laughs> they are, that they are. And that disregards, you know, the whole notion of what happens when you have a movie that audiences discover and embrace and make into a phenomenon. And they have Peacock Live now, like or uh, they have Peacock, not just Peacock, that event. I'm still missing that. But mm. the fact that they now have a streaming service that back in 2016, uh, Shell didn't have. Mm -hmm. Now they have an ability to put forward all of their movies into a streamed line that people are paying for mm -hmm. um, direction and they get immediate feedback. They get immediate sense of, you know, hey, we're seeing this movie. We're buying into this monthly service in order to see the latest and greatest. But yet the latest and greatest isn't there. There's a lot of moving parts that happen now versus back in 2016 when Shell started to talk about uh, this cut. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... 
Long story short, folks, and in fact, I virtually guarantee you by the time the show is edited and, and put up on the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, things will have changed. There will yep. be additional wrinkles, so I apologize, but we, we tried. We, we, we went back and redid it. So one final thing before we break here. How would you like to be the manager of the Universal CityWalk AMC Theater in Hollywood right now? They put millions into redoing that theater back in 2016 and you are (laughs) literally inches away from the black tower where all decisions at universal are made and you now stuck a stake in the ground we're not going to show any universal movies that's going to be kind of a frosty relationship for a while (laughs) Uh, on the other hand you got to give the folks in orlando credit They, at least when they redid the theater, it went from being an AMC to a Cinemark. So at least you'll be able to see your Universal product at the Universal Orlando Resort going forward. But uh, anyway, these are interesting times, folks. And speaking of interesting stuff, when we get back from this break, Dustin and I have a very interesting survey to share with you folks. And we're back. Do you want to talk about Whoville? It's our buddy BioReconstruct, right? Again, who, who shared this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a, a very interesting piece of news that came out. Apparently what's gone on is the Grinch set from Universal Hollywood, which appeared at Universal Hollywood back in 2000 when the film was just released. Um, and it was the Grinch starring Jim Carrey. That was put onto the back lot and it's been a part of the tour ever since. Well, during this helicopter trip over Southern California theme parks, they kind of figured out that it wasn't there anymore. (laughs) And uh, when you do the deep dive, when you look in, it's not just, oh, there's trailers and that kind of. No, it's gone. It's gone. Now, it makes sense because over the last couple of years, there's there's been um, structural integrity because it was a film set. It wasn't designed to stand up to two decades worth of, you know, weather and uh, constant use. So I don't know what's going to end up happening, but the fact that it is no longer there was a pretty big news item because it was such an iconic piece of the Backlot Express or Backlot Tour. Well, also, uh, forgive me, I probably know entirely too much about this Jim Carrey movie, but a lot of the sets to get that shape and that look were car foam. Mm -hmm. You know, they had to be light enough to be able and still have enough structural integrity to to hold those Dr. Seuss-like shapes. Um, And what's been kind of interesting is for a number of years now, especially during the holiday season, on the tram tour, that this was a featured attraction. They, they would actually stop in front of the Whoville and they'd have a bunch of Who's and the Grinch do like a, a two-minute-long musical vignette, you know, and then move to the next part of the tour so the next tram would, could come in. Mm-hmm. So going to be kind of interesting to see what happens with this year's Hula Days in, in Hollywood. I mean, they're clearly investing in it. That Just this past year, they did that, that giant new wonky Christmas tree with its amazing lighting package. So yep. it's it's not like Universal isn't investing in a, a Grinch-based Christmas. Yeah, but definitely if you want to see a great, it's a, a helicopter view of SoCal theme parks, um, mm-hmm. go over and 
definitely check out Mika Muzio did a, a YouTube video that actually did a helicopter view. It's like 10 minutes long. They go from one theme park to another to another. Uh, and definitely check it out because it gives you not only some really interesting construction views of certain things being built at Universal Studios Hollywood, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, Nintendo. But uh, they also do a really good job of just giving you different angles that you wouldn't really see over that theme park because it's always a, a bustle of activity. So definitely check that out. Okay. Um, all right. So we talked at length about potentially how, you know, Universal, the theme park, is going to operate as we're actively dealing with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the daily operations. We didn't necessarily touch on what happens with you know, after hours, hard tickets like uh, Halloween Horror Nights. And, uh, you know, that's an entirely different set of operational concerns. Because face it. uh, Oh, can you imagine social distancing in a land of zombies and killer clowns? Or for that matter, how do you pulse people through a house? A pandemic in real life. We ha- yeah. there, there's that board game series, the pandemic ones. We haven't had the the courage to play it. It's a little bit too, too soon. No, 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 yeah, no, I understand that, but um, it's worth noting here that while we're talking about Halloween Horror Nights, that another survey uh, was just sent out by the Universal Orlando Resort, and well, I, I guess to properly set the stage here, face it, Universal makes money hand over fist off of Halloween Horror Night every year. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, there was so many people looking forward to this fall because it was going to be the 30th and which characters are coming back and which houses are they going to pay tribute to and that sort of thing. And I won't lie to you, I think there were lots of folks in the industry, Disney included, who just sort of look at Halloween Horror Night and envy that. But conversely, Universal looks at Disney with envy because they can actually do two Hard after our hour ticket events at the Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They can do Mickey's Not So Scary, which, uh, you know, does decent business. Sure. But it doesn't do Halloween Horror Night business. But it also does Mickey's Very Merry. And so uh, there's been this thought at Universal to the effect of we have our Not So Scary. You know, what's our equivalent to a Very Merry? And We've seen events like the the Harry Potter celebration, Mardi Gras, you know, the like. But those, again, are are during the day and are included uh, with park admission. And they'd really like another one like Halloween Horror Night, which is why what's fascinating about this survey. Okay, here's how it starts out, folks. Imagine that Universal Orlando were to host a month-long event that was similar in execution to Halloween Horror Nights, but would feature popular stories from science fiction, fantasy, anime, and gaming. At this event, you step inside houses or multi-rooms where each uh, each of these things, the science fiction, fantasy, anime, and the like, uh, each of these houses will tell a different story set in those worlds. Uh, some of the stories will be familiar ones, and some of them would be unique creations from the Universal and a creative team. And as you mentioned, the, the zombies... The, the streets of the park would be transformed to include decor, character interactions, and other activities themed, you know, related to the theme of the event. And with the price point being similar to Halloween Horror Night admissions. And 
So they then ask, which IPs uh, would you most want to experience a, as a scenic walkthrough through a multi-room set with character interaction? And again, I, I've broken them down into gaming, characters and such from television, and then anime, uh, or television film. So let's start out with the television to film. They start off with Back to the Future. So it's like Marty and Doc, you know, it would be great to see them again. Sure. Doc's already in the park, though. I, I don't entirely get that, but okay. <laughs> uh, we have Black Mirror, you know, our, our age's response to Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. uh, Doctor Who. As soon as I saw this, it's like, okay, I want to go in a TARDIS. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I want to go someplace. I want them to, to pull off the it's bigger in the inside thing. Yep. Uh, on the other hand, Fantastic Beasts, I've kind of heard from folks at Universal that they want to put a Fantastic Beasts element into this event just to sort of gauge interest. Because remember, Epic Universe is rumored to have a pretty sizable Fantastic Beasts uh, area, but I think it, as you and I have discussed on earlier shows, Dustin, the the fall off in business from Fantastic Beast One to Fantastic Beast Two is one of the reasons that Fantastic Beast Three got pushed off by a full year. Yeah, uh, you know, as as Warner Brothers executives were kind of like, okay, let's take a moment here. Yeah. Uh, but we also have Game of Thrones. We also have Lord of the Rings, which for the longest time has been discussed as a possible replacement for the theme for that area that stretches from Skull Island, Reign of Kong. Oh, to Marvel Superhero Island. That's it, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we also have Hayao Miyazaki Spirited Away. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Star Trek, but again, don't know if we're talking Star Trek Discovery, the, the CBS All Access, or the Chris Pine movies. Uh, we then have Westworld and The Witcher. Now, to pivot to gaming, they talk about doing mazes or uh, streets keyed off of Dungeons & Dragons, Final Fantasy, Fortnite, Legends of Zelda, uh, Pokemon, which, again, given what you were just talking about, the flyover of, you know, Nintendo Land in, in Hollywood, uh, it's like, okay, yeah. Yep. And then we have Minecraft. And then finally, on the anime side, we have Attack on Titan, Death Note, Dragon Ball, and Naruto. Um, okay. Now, I mentioned Attack on Titan uh, largely because it's worth noting that since 2014, uh, Universal Studios Japan has done this seasonal event that they call Universal Cool Japan, which is you know, this, it, I guess it started off as a six week long event, but it was so popular it's now stretched out. 212. In fact, they break it down into a spring semester and a summer semester. But it's this event that celebrates iconic Japanese entertainment. And uh, among the IPs that Universal Cool has touched on over the past six years, well, first of all, is Attack on Titan, then Biohazard, uh, Godzilla, Lupin the Third, Monster Hunter, and, and again, Final Fantasy, and, and Sailor Moon. And look, if you know what Disney has begun doing with Tokyo Disneyland, mm -hmm. you've seen the Festival of Fantasy Parade at the Magic Kingdom, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, did you know two of the floats that are in that parade are actually recycled from Tokyo Disney's 25th anniversary parade, Jubilation? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the princess one, the princess garden thing, and then the one with Pinocchio riding the whale. Uh, yeah. 90 feet long. I mean, amazing float, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, but no, Disney made the decision that, you know, let's take those two units and bring them stateside and make minor adjustments. Uh, but we can drop those straight into the parade for the Magic Kingdom and get twice as much show for half the dough. I can't help but think, given that Universal Cool has done a Final Fantasy, I want to say it's actually a virtual reality experience that they do in kind of a soundstage space. Okay. And they have an Attack on Titans photo op where they have like this giant representation of one of the figures. And, and the thing is, you can stand you can, in much the same way that you used to be able to get your picture taken being held in the hand of King Kong, you know, in, in the post-confrontation gift shop thing. Um, the only difference with the Attack and Titan thing is you, you're in the hand of one of the giant creatures just as he's getting ready to bite your head off. <laughs> um, so no, that that was made for Instagram. You look at some of these oh, these poses yeah. that people are no, doing, absolutely. and it's but awesome. I, I can't help but think that that's actually one of the reasons that these were put in the mix for this yeah. fantasy, you know, science fiction version of Halloween Horror Night because. Face it, the props are built, you know, and they're over in Japan. And if Disney can mm -hmm. haul two parade floats, you know, halfway around the world and draw, use them at the Magic Kingdom, it just makes sense that Universal could do the exact same thing with these props and, and items that have already been built for Universal Cool Japan. So Absolutely. Now, a lot of these IPs that they're talking about by way of Fantastic Beasts, um, we know that Universal's done stuff with the Harry Potter franchise, but Star Trek and Doctor Who, those are uh, franchises mm -hmm. that just stick out in my mind as how they would be able to integrate that into an event. Uh, and the other thing that was very interesting from this thing was that the cost of the admission would be similar to the cost of the Halloween Horror Nights. Mm -hmm. uh, I just did a little search while you were talking, and the original price of Halloween Horror Nights was $12.95. So if we're talking about current price, mm -hmm. the idea that they're talking about having a an event, a hard ticket event that would rival the cost for someone to spend mm -hmm. over $100 to come, they've got to put some big names on the marquee. So that could this be a very interesting thing. All this stuff is brilliant. I love it. Well, again, it will be interesting to see if this actually happens. And so true. Speaking of things that we hope actually happen, folks, on our, our last show, uh, Dustin and I talked about the Jim's Disney Spring thing, uh, the new event that we're planning for this fall with the, the wonderful folks at Storybook Destinations. And... Look, as far as we know, folks, this is still happening. The uh, November 13th through the 16th, we're going to do a deep dive on the history of Disney Springs and Boardwalk and Pleasure Island and, and all that. Um, but the, the problem is right now, there are so many mixed messages about who's, which park is going to be open when. So tell you what, how about this? The folks at Storybook Destinations are still taking names of those who are interested in taking part in this event. And again, this is November 13th through the 16th. If you want to send it along your name and your contact info, and when we find out for sure 
that, you know, the Walt Disney World Resort, in particular Disney Springs, is open this November, uh, we will start then hammering our plans into place for this event. All we ask is a little patience here, folks. We, we'd love to be more definitive of what we're going to do on what day and and when, but right now we're just kind of concentrating on, you know, whether or not the place is actually open. Which which brings me to my next question, Dustin. Given what's going on in, in the theme park world, what are you talking about on your podcast these days? Uh, so We Like Theme Parks has uh, undergone, I think the last five or six episodes, we've been actually doing a March Madness where we had four different uh, groups, 64 attractions from Disney East, Disney West, Universal Stateside, and Disney International coming together for basically us to say what the best attraction out there actually is. And um, we we don't know what it is. We're in the finals. This week is the finals, and it'll be great to, to see what's going to happen. Right now, it's Rise the Resistance versus Haunted Mansion. And Haunted Mansion in the last round basically just destroyed Hagrid's. So there is a lot of you know, conversation of, well, is that because Hagrid's hasn't been around for so long or there's, uh, you know, all the six hour waits and that kind of thing. And honestly, it was just a really great conversation to see where people are coming from. Uh, Going forward, it's just a lot of armchair imagineering, talking about what we are going to hopefully expect from, you know, theme parks going forward. We just don't know. So as fans, we're just trying to get it through and talk about as much theme parks as possible. Okay. Well, no, that, that sounds like a fine time to circle back on that show, folks, to see who who takes it in the finals, you know, the Haunted Mansion or Rise of the Resistance. Uh, over on my side of the fence, we, of course, have Disney Dish with Len Testa, and Len and I are really doing what we can to stay on top of what's going on in, in Florida and California and, and how they're t- two very <laughs> different governors are, are handling things very differently. Yeah. We also have fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, and we've been covering all sorts of the maneuvering that's been going on with animated features. In fact, the, the news that just broke about Scoob, who's supposed to be released theatrically, and uh, now that's going to go on demand. And, you know, there's a lot of talk that maybe it was how well... Trolls World Tour did mm-hmm. when Universal sent that out back on the, the 6th of this month. But what else? Uh, looking at Lucasfilm, Dan Z and I undoubtedly on our next show will be talking about Mandalorian Season 3 uh, in production now already. We haven't even seen Season 2. Yeah, Season 2 is going to be awesome, but if they're already talking about Season 3, oh, awesome. Okay, so uh, what else? What else? Oh, Marvelous Disney, which we do with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits a lot of the podcasts here. And I'm not sure how Aaron's going to react to the news from just yesterday that Venom Two has been pushed off till next year. Uh, but we have a name. We have a title now. We have Let There Be Carnage. And finally, we have the I Want That podcast uh, with Michelle Valladolid, which we're hopefully recording a new episode of this this weekend and it's all about the fact that you can't get into a disney store right now and how how you can fill that need or get that fixed it's a lot of online googling being like okay who's doing free shipping who's who has the exclusive stuff and uh yeah we all need a little bit more theme park and universal disney everything in our lives so you know 
Well, that's free it's, shipping. It's, <laughs> it's it's interesting you bring that up because I can't share the name of a themed entertainment veteran who I was talking with just last night about this. But it's like I asked flat out, "Are you kind of concerned the park's going to be closed, you know, for so long?" And he's like, "Look, I can go to YouTube right now." Mm-hmm. And I can watch people who at home are recreating their favorite attractions because yeah. they're that desperate for our product that they, they made their own version at home. And then I can look at the tens of thousands or if not hundreds of thousands of views. Yeah. You know, and it's just the whole notion of like, look, people clearly are still hungry for what we do, the, yeah. the, the sort of things we built. You know, well, and, and on the Universal Orlando Resort YouTube page over the last week or so, they've been putting out the science of attractions. Mm-hmm. And so they've done Skull Island, Reign of Kong, uh, Jurassic Park, Transformers, Hollywood Rip Ride and Rocket, and Revenge of the Mummy. So if you want to get that view into how some of the, the creative folks and the engineers uh, really worked on these projects... It's a really cool series. I, I, I'm very interested to see where they're going to head from here because it's a, a different conversation. It's a different view of this. And it's four minutes uh, for each of these things. Definitely worth checking it out. Mm. The Revenge of the Mummy has 22,000 views already. So it's like yeah. for theme park fans, yeah, this is the, the best time. Well, not necessarily the best time, but it's, good. it's a great creative time for yeah, for folks um, to be looking at the you know how these attractions work. Well, to circle back to my pal, just basically pointing out, it's like, look, the pirates aren't going anywhere; they're still in their building. You know, they're <laughs> they're, they're waiting for you. Yeah, and more to the point, the public that still obviously has a hunger for this stuff. So, Absolutely. yes, when we can finally turn the key and open the door, you know, there will be people waiting to come in. The question is. How many people can we fit in? And, you know, and how do they go about moving around the park? But that's something Dustin and I will talk about at length on future shows. Now, okay, so speaking of which, if you could do Dustin and I a favor and head over to iTunes and rate and recommend both the show you're listening to now, Universal Joint, as well as We Like Theme Parks. We Like Theme Parks. I got the name right, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, sorry. I I, I need. There's so many folks. podcasts. That's know, the thing. There's so many. <laughs> uh, you know. And uh, by the way, if you really really enjoy what you listen to today, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful as well. Um, uh, Dustin, a final question of folks: If they're looking for you, social media wise, where can they find you? Uh, I'm over at Steps to Magic on Instagram. We like theme parks, and uh, yeah, just a lot of uh, podcast listening right now. So I hope everyone's staying safe. That's the big thing. Stay safe. We'll get through it. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Uh, social media side for me. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And just to echo what Dustin just said there. Uh, please be safe. Uh, social distancing, not a bad idea. Yeah. And, uh, but don't be too distant because we want you to come back to catch the next show. Absolutely.